Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When it comes to cinema, many movies are based on Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. However, I'm fairly certain that nowhere in that conceptualization were flaming corpses, sprinkler peas, and highly flammable flatulence. Nevertheless, it's time to look behind the mask to see if superhero movie is not that bad. <laughs> Welcome, welcome, one and all, to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. Now, for the first time on this show, we are about to cover something that I like to call a movie movie. Now, I'm not saying that this means that this film is more movie than movie. I'm just saying it's a movie that has movie in the title, you know, like scary movie, date movie, epic movie, and the one we're covering today superhero movie and here to join me is the superhero of my life my lovely wife carrie carrie how are you doing today oh <laughs> see i say things you are my dragonfly i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> yeah i'm not quite sure okay so let me give you a little bit of inside baseball every now and then when we're flipping through Prime or Netflix or whatever, we'll stumble upon a movie and Carrie's like, what the heck is this? This looks weird. And then we watch the trailer and she starts guffawing. And I know for a fact at that point that we're going to be covering that movie. So when you initially saw the trailer for superhero movie, what was your initial thought process? Oh my God, this is a very Carrie movie. <laughs> and it was. It was. Like, it was... Just the trailer alone had me in tears. And there were so many points in this movie that I just. I was starting to worry. (laughs) I was starting to worry if the neighbors were going to be coming over (laughs) and wonder about the, the loud noises coming from our television watching room because from a distance, you either sounded like you were having hysterical laughing fits or in pain. Oh my God. I had. Tears streaming down my cheeks. I love this movie. It was so funny. (laughs) Okay, before we get any further, before we kind of give away our thoughts on this, it's time to take superhero movie and trailerize it. If you are the kind of person who wonders why Spider-Man doesn't shoot webs out of his ass, question why a billionaire doesn't just invest in social reforms and equality rather than beating up crooks, and ponder the reality of how a pair of glasses is actually a disguise, you're really going to wonder how a dragonfly bite leaves a massive wound 
when their teeth don't even penetrate human skin in superhero movie. Yeah, that's a thing. I wikipedia it. Drake Bell is Rick Riker, a sad, pathetic kid who gets bitten by a genetically altered dragonfly that gives him the powers of a dragonfly. Which is really going to be awkward when he tries to have sex. No, I'm serious. Look it up. You will not find that move in the Kama Sutra. He's longing to tell his crush that he loves her while fighting off the villainous hourglass. A man who wants to achieve immortality by killing a lot of people. Along the way, this film will skewer the legacies of Spider-Man, Batman, the X-Men, and many, many more in a film that can only be described as Leslie Nielsen gets a paycheck. Suit up for a superhero movie. Rated 14A for acute dragophorophobia. Yeah, I spend a little too much time on Wikipedia for this one here because dragophorophobia apparently is the fear of dragonflies. But they're so lovely. There's a word for it. Clearly, you didn't read up how they have sex. Now, is that only genetically mutated dragonflies? I don't know what's going to happen to the Chernobyl dragonflies when they decide it's mating time, but I fear, I fear... But oh god, the snail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carrie's even. Carrie's already laughing at this film. <laughs> she she's done already. I I will say though, I it, it should be I I'm gonna I'm gonna break I'm gonna break Carrie right off the bat right now, okay? Even more than I'm already broken. Even more, okay? Ooh. And by the way, spoilers like a mofo on this one here. There is a scene where the guy who plays the villain, Hourglass, is trying to stuff a dead body into a uh, into a closet, and someone walks in and it looks like he's banging it from behind <laughs> while holding its hair and banging it against the wall. I kid you not. Read up how a dragonfly has sex on Wikipedia. It's actually similar to that. Are you saying that Hourglass stole the dragonfly's move? Oh, it totally did. Oh. Stole its mojo like it was Austin Powers. <laughs> right now, people are sitting there like questioning <laughs> if I spend way too much time watching National Geographic. But let's get into who's in this film. The movie stars Drake Bell, Sarah Paxton, Leslie Nielsen, Christopher McDonald, Kevin Hart, Marion Ross, Brent Spiner, and many others. I need to point this out. Anyone who has seen superhero movie knows that the majority of the story of the film really takes its notes from the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man films. Which is funny because Drake Bell, the guy who plays the kid who becomes Dragonfly, is the voice of Spider-Man in Marvel's Ultimate Spider-Man TV show. So ah, he's come full circle. Coincidence. Coincidence? I think not. I think not. There is a small almost starring in this one. In the role of the lunatic editor, as played by John Getz, it was almost rip torn. <laughs> but he had to back out of this one. So <laughs> had to. Had to or was <laughs> ran like hell. <laughs> well, IMDB said he was replaced, and it didn't give a reason why. So I'm just telling you what I read. 
The movie is written and directed by Craig Mazin, who was also the janitor who walked in on Hourglass during that body stuffing in the closet scene. This was the second ever and last ever film that he directed. Previously, he actually directed a movie called The Specials, which was also another take on superheroes. Since then, he's only directed a few episodes of Chernobyl, the TV series, which was a very good series. Very different from this film, though. Very, very different. And, of course, the movie was produced by David Zucker, he who is also partly responsible for the Naked Gun series and Airplane. This movie actually won an award. And it's not the awards you're probably thinking of. At the 2018 Choice Awards, Drake Bell actually won for Choice Movie Male Breakout Star. So yeah, a movie movie won a real award. And at the box office, the film did okay. It had a budget of $35 million. Domestically, it only made $25.8 million. And worldwide, $71.5 million. So it got its money back. However, when it debuted on the March 28th, 2008 weekend, it debuted at number three with a $9 million opening. The top grossing debut film that weekend was 21. It debuted with 24 million. The only other major release debut that weekend was Stop Loss that debuted at number eight with 4.5 million. However, the reason why we are here, and not just because Carrie has a really warped sense of humor, are the critics. Over at Metacritic, this film has a meta score of 33, and over at Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score is slightly under that at 32%. Of the tomatometer, 16. Now, I will say that for some of the quote-unquote movie movies, that's actually not that bad, but at 16%, how wrong are the critics, Carrie? That's so unfair. I mean, first of all, It does. It follows suit with, instead of spoofing a horror movie, um, it spoofs superheroes. So it attracts a completely different movie-going fan. Mm -hmm. Right? So, I mean, you know what? It was fun. And I think it was the exact take that a superhero movie fan wants to see. You know, you want to see the hero kind of, I don't know, just <laughs> like, like, it's ridiculous fun and it's enjoyable. It's enjoyable to watch. And I think the critics, I don't know, like it's unfair that it wasn't higher rated or, or better received. Well, let me put this into perspective here. When you take a look at some of the the scary movies, and that's probably the the biggest direct correlation that you're going to get, because of course, you know, he had a hand in a lot of them as well, not a producer and sometimes director. So for Scary Movie Three, it had a thirty five percent tomatometer. Scary Movie 4, a 34%. And Scary Movie 5, where he was a screenwriter and producer, not an actual director, it was 4%. So not as bad as some of the scary movies, but, you know, not as not as bad as, not as good as some of the scary movies. It's kind of in that middle ground. I think maybe it's just a a genre that's not well received by the critics. And that could and I don't very know well why. be. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I think we can safely say that 
the idea of the parody movie has been taken to some extremes you know and i'm not even talking about just the movie movies you have movies like uh stan helsing and meet the meet the spartans and movies like that where the entire thing is just a a spoof on different genres of films movie 43 well movie 43 was slightly different in that Uh, that was a series of small short films as opposed to one story that was a parody of many movies so i think you can get overload and i think there's something to be said about you know almost the direct-to-video feel of some of these films and i think maybe that's part of it because once you get past the obvious laughs you Mm. know where this kid who you know isn't very popular at school has a crush on his neighbor you know, the girl who's never going to recognize him. And oh, it's basically it, crib yada, straight yada, from yada, Spider-Man. Right? Yeah. Like it is, it is completely the Spider-Man story retold with like humor, like where he's learning that he has the, well, first of all, how he gets his, uh, his superpowers, how he's learning how to adapt to his superpowers. Oh my God, the bus or sorry, the truck that hit him yeah. and, and the old lady walking across the street. <laughs> I shouldn't admit that I laughed so hard to that scene, but oh my God. Um, this is my wife, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was so, so wrong. You know, nod to Fargo. Um, <laughs> but but I'd, it's, I'd be more worried if you laughed during that scene in Fargo. It's the, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's those little tip of the hats like um the whole batman scene right where he's leaving the theater with his parents and and trying to be a hero and <laughs> he he tried he tried to be the hero oh yeah no there um, there there was a there were a lot of parodies and references and keep in mind too like when this movie came out like this movie is actually pre or at least on the cusp of the MCU arrival. So up to this point, their entire frames of reference were the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man films, um, the pre-Dark uh, Knight trilogy. So, so we're not even into the Christopher Nolan era, you know, and a whole lot of Marvel movies like like Daredevil and Elektra and fan, the two Fantastic and Four Wolverine. films. And Wolverine. Well, the X-Men films for sure, yeah. <laughs> but let's get into the breakdown here and go through this piece by piece. We're going to start, of course, with Drake Bell, who played Rick Riker, a.k.a. the Dragonfly. How was he for you? He was good. I mean, if if this was this was his first movie? No, it wasn't his first film. Uh, he was actually big on a show called, I think it was Drake and Josh. Uh, and then I think this is one of his bigger movies to start, but it was more like kids TV shows at that point. Ah, right. So this kind of was what the the leap out of that catapulted him into. Yeah, you know what? He was so so funny. You know, I I think if if his goal was to play like you know the geek turned superhero, he played it well. He played it well. It was it was good, and you know what? Um, it, it. it's almost kind of like as you're watching, you see this growth as he just becomes more comfortable with his new superpowers. Like his performance was good and it only got better. The key thing with the parody movies is that 
the closer you can get to someone looking like the character you're basically spoofing, the better you're going to be. And I think as a, for lack of a better term, Kirkland brand Peter Parker, I think he did very, very well. And yes, the the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man film is the direct take for the story. I think he he got the exact mood across because the other thing too is that you don't want to go in there and act completely like an idiot with the dialogue he played it straight no i know but oh my god the scene where he became like the dragonfly's personal photographer Mm -hmm. and he took to prove that he wasn't actually the dragonfly (laughs) he took he took a selfie with the dragonfly yeah like now now keep in mind the dragonfly of course like was basically his costume on a mannequin (laughs) but 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 that's like it 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 played so much off of a lot of the tropes from the Spider-Man film. Not tropes, but basically like the beats off the Spider-Man film. And the thing is, as the star in a parody film, your goal is to is basically to play it straight and let the crazy happen around you. I think Drake Bell completely got the assignment on this one and and nailed it. Oh, absolutely. Well, especially too when you consider that you are you are surrounded by some very good comedic talent in this. Like, first of all, you're on screen with Leslie Nielsen. You know, like comedic genius Leslie Nielsen. And you're you're in a film that's being produced by one of the trio that brought you like Naked Gun and Airplane. Like you can't be in better company in a in a comedy film. He did very, very well. Sarah Paxton, who played Jill, um, very much, you know, so if Drake Bell is supposed to be the Peter Parker, Sarah Paxton is supposed to be like the Mary Jane in this. So how was she for you? Again, she was good. She was like very true to what the character of Mary Jane would be. But I found that, you know, why didn't she just leave that dude? (laughs) Like, come on. Oh, come on. How many movies that were like, why didn't you just leave that dude? <sighs> Seriously. Um, I think the key thing here is that I, I'm I, I may get some hate on this one here, but I'm gonna say it anyways. I think she did better in the you know Kirkland brand Mary Jane role than Kirsten Dunst did as Mary Jane in oh. the Spider-Man film. Come on. I mean, for what her role was. Like Sarah Paxson, again, knew the assignment. Played it well in that very David Zucker style comedy. Uh, also, kudos to her. She actually sang one of the songs during the credits. Oh, really? Because she is a singer as well. So, you know, pulling double duty on this one. She's likable. And she plays, you know, the the you know, the the object of affection for for Rick Riker very well. Like she plays it sweet. And I think that comes across. I agree with that. I mean, Again, um, how she, you know, how she took to um, his family, to Rick's family and, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of like seemed to just be comfortable, like with them. It was, it was, it was, it had that sweetness. Well, that was the thing, right? Like Mary Jane grew up beside Peter Parker, knew Aunt May very well, um, was always next door and helping out with Aunt May whenever, whenever need be like that that was the story that was the connection and here that played over very well as well you know and how she was next door and helping lucille with dinner and you know it it was 
the moments that had her in it were, were very well done. Kevin Hart. Yeah, Kevin Hart, who plays Trey in this one. How was he for you? You know, I'm going to break the internet here. I'm usually not a Kevin Hart fan. Um, every time I see his name on the credits of a movie that you make me watch, I'm like, oh, I know I'm going to hate this because it's Kevin Hart being Kevin Hart. You're still holding the Razzies 2022 yeah, special yeah. against me, aren't you? Yes, I am. Mm. But Sorry, 2023. I will say that he was, I mean, clearly much younger before he became the Kevin Hart that is Kevin Hart in every Kevin Hart movie. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, die harder because, you know, that, <laughs> well, that had to happen. Well, that was fun. <laughs> it was fun, but... Um, he was, he was actually funny as the best friend. He, I, I really liked how he just kind of, he was sitting on the bus and he's going over all the different cliques and he's like, and then there's you and me. It's like, he totally was resigned to the fact that he's, you know, he's a loser along with his best friend and that's just how it is. And it was like, okay, you know what? I can, I can get behind that. The scenes where he would pop in and, um, you know, discover his his best friend's new talents. It, it, it was funny. He was actually funny in this one and likable. Well, you, okay. One of the biggest laughs that Carrie got was when Kevin Hart got, you know, shot in the hand with the, uh, <laughs> with the nail gun here. <laughs> it's not that easy. <laughs> no, I don't think it is. <laughs> I find it interesting that Trey in this kind of has like that Ned vibe from the Tom Holland Spider-Man films, even though this came out years before the Tom Holland Spider-Man era. Yes. Is Kevin Hart still Kevin Hart in this? Yes. Um, And I think if we had watched this before we had watched a lot of other Kevin Hart films, I'd, I'd probably find him a lot funnier, but it's still Kevin Hart being Kevin Hart. I, I, I get it. I, I'm with you on this. I'm not the biggest fan of him in certain cases. That scene on the bus, though, all I kept thinking about was the fact that he was one of the voices in the Captain Underpants film, and I could I could almost hear the relation the same kind of relationship between the two characters in Captain Underpants. Hmm. Interesting. I did. I that wasn't even on my radar, but I really kind of. I kind of enjoyed him, you know, yeah. in this movie. I mean, he was exactly what you needed him to be, and he wasn't there too much to take away from. I think that's the thing. If there was more Trey in this, it would have stepped all over what Drake Bell was trying to do, and it was it was it was a good amount of Trey, and that's fine. Leslie Nielsen, who played Uncle Albert. I mean, it's Leslie freaking Nielsen. Need we really say any more? But come on. Leslie Nielsen. Love, loved him. Oh my God. I loved him. I mean, the perfect character to kind of take on the the, the Uncle Ben mantle, if you will. Um, the thing is, Leslie Nielsen doesn't have to do anything except for do what Leslie Nielsen has done in every single David Zucker production that he has ever done. Um, and it's it's interesting because, you know, I've seen him in some other comedic films from big name directors and writers where it doesn't necessarily work. There's something about a Zucker Abrams Zucker produced film, or in this case, just Zucker 
that just fits like a glove for Leslie Nielsen. And it, it's like almost like coming home for him. Yet I love the turnabout that I don't know how much I can say, but it was like Uncle Ben didn't die. Or no. Uncle Albert. No, Uncle Albert didn't die. It's like plot twist. I know. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Marion Ross is Aunt Lucille. So the, the Aunt May character. <laughs> Love. <laughs> oh my God, the banter, the relationship between her and, and Albert were just oh, funny. I think it's even funnier for me when you realize, and for those of you who don't know, I'm just going to like completely break your brain for a second here, that Marion Ross, of course, played Mrs. Cunningham on Happy Days. <gasps> you didn't know that? Oh my God. I, I, I did say break brain, right? Wow. Yeah. No, I did. I did not realize that. So when you realize that she comes from that background, from you know, from from acting roles, and then brings almost the same kind of charm as Mrs. Cunningham, but in a way, way wrong kind of way <laughs> with some of the dialogue, I think it makes it even funnier. Like Leslie Nielsen, he gets on screen and you fully expect the things that he is going to do. Out of Marion Ross, it was even funnier. But they, and that's the thing, is that they played off each other so well. Oh, they did. Like they absolutely banter, did. Oh, brilliant. And, <laughs> and I'm sorry about your dead wife. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's the pairing of them together as, as the aunt and uncle to, to Rick Riker. Brilliant casting. Mm-hmm. Christopher McDonald, who played Lou Landers... Slash the hourglass. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was the perfect mix of like, just unhinged, crazy. Like, you just knew. The minute he was introduced, I'm like, okay, yeah, he's going to be the baddie. Yeah. I mean, obviously. Obviously, if you follow the. I, I mean, let's let's be honest. The parody movies aren't exactly like, you know, subtle. By any stretch of the imagination. Kind of subtle like a sledgehammer. No, I know, but he played it well. He did. I mean, but that's the thing. He played like over the top comic book villain, which you kind of almost want in a parody. Like you want the main guy to be, to play it straight and let the crazy happen around him. Hourglass is where the crazy started to happen. The one thing I find interesting in this, you know, and it has nothing to do with Lou Landers, but it's the writing of the character. So... If they're using the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man as the template for the storyline, I am surprised that they didn't do a Green Goblin-style knockoff. Instead, you have basically a combination of powers from a couple of different characters in the comic books in that you have almost a uh, life-force-draining kind of power from the Grim Reaper from Marvel, but you also have the fact that it only really lasts for 24 hours at a time, similar to how our man's powers from DC Comics, um, a hero, in fact, uh, his powers only last for an hour at a time. So it's an, it's an amalgamation of power sets from different characters from comic books and has nothing to do with Green Goblin. So it's interesting that they didn't try to directly kind of you know, crib from the original movie that they were taking from and created almost a, a new kind of Franken character. But I kind of like that because it makes it less predictable. 
And that and there is the thing. Like this isn't just copy paste and then change the names, you know, so the original people can't be identified by the police. Um, you know, it's it was different. It was very different. Yet did 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 you know, did Dragonfly's powers mimic Spider-Man? Yes, they did. You know, minus the webs. But it wasn't a direct ripoff. See, it's funny because I was actually thinking it was more of a combination of like, not necessarily the Hulk, but um, like the whole um, Captain America, like being taken over by or um, with the Super Soldier Serum. Yeah, yeah, that kind uh, to, of thing. To a point, you could also kind of equate it to Kickass as well, and how that character had to. Um, basically grow into his powers as well. There are so many comparables that you can, you know, draw lines to, to see where they're pulling their, you know, their inspiration from. Um, Hourglass being, or sorry, Our Man being different, or sorry, Hourglass, my bad, Our Man was the hero. Hourglass being different from the Spider-Man film gives it an original take, and I think that's good. Mm Mm-hmm. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Let's talk about his son, Lance Landers, as played by Ryan Hansen. This is Jill's boyfriend, the one that you weren't quite sure why she didn't leave. Oh, God. The, I mean, 
obviously he had to be, but the character was a tool. <laughs> Cutter like, is a tool. Oh my god. Yeah. No. He he should have been kicked to the curb like like from the the field like the day after the field trip. <laughs> like out of there. I mean, I get that he's you know supposed to be, I guess, like the the Brock version in Spider Man, um, but it, it, it was such a I I I don't mean to cast aspersions, but it was kind of a dopey performance. He literally reminded me of the friend who left his underoos in the room, <laughs> like <laughs> like just really that dumb. Do, do you have that friend? No, in <laughs> in the room. The friend oh, who the had the, oh, yes. the emergency situation because he left his underoos. I'm starting to wonder if there's this friend that you have that you never told me about. <laughs> or if, <laughs> Oh, God. Or no, if, not that kind of friend. Or, Holy. If the, or if this is how you tell stories <laughs> to your friends of me. <laughs> Did I forget my underwear in the room? <laughs> Hands up. <laughs> oh. It's like, who dresses him in the morning? <laughs> right, just... right now, there's people listening to this episode. Like, I don't understand why she just doesn't leave him. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm special. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, Ooh. he wasn't there too much, which I think is. Thank God. I know, right? Because I, I, <laughs> had they leaned too much into Lance, um, I think I would have tuned out a little bit sooner. Um, not that I tuned out at all during this movie. It's just that his character really didn't bring anything to the table. Nope. Dr. Strom, as played by the one and only Brent Spiner in this. Oh, love it. <laughs> I mean, it's a little on the nose, casting him as a doctor. I mean, aside from the fact that he's Data in Star Trek, but he was also, of course, the scientist in independence day you know so kind of a bit of typecasting but almost perfect typecasting i think i wanted to see more mm. though like that that moment where um i, I guess like the machine kind of what ba- backfires or, or backfired whatever backfired or, or started um sparking and i wanted to see like more data in that moment and the thing is Brent Spiner is a very funny actor and one of the few bright spots in The Master of Disguise. And in watching this, I'm like, you have Brent Spiner on your cast in a role that, you know, makes you have to go back to him occasionally. Use him more. Like, more. Yeah. Yeah. Although, that being said, had they put Brent Spiner as Hourglass, that would have been interesting. Mm, I'd, I... I don't think he could be menacing, though. He was definitely in the right role. Mm. I just wanted to see more. Just a, more. A bigger presentation of what he what he's capable of as an actor. Like, I wanted more. Okay. More data. I'm, I'm going to break Carrie a little bit here, only because I know that she laughs at the, at the very wrong things. <laughs> Robert Joy... Who played Dr. Stephen Hawking in this? Oh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the. Oh, so... no, sh. <laughs> <laughs> ow, ow, ow. 
Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna hit the, uh, the 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 sensor button here a few times, but I mean, his performance, his impression of Hawking, visually was spot on. Was spot on. I there were times where I at first I'm like, should I even be laughing? Like how? At first I'm like, how did they get Stephen Hawking Stephen, in, in this role? Like I, because I know he's done a lot of um, spots on. Um, on the Big Bang Theory. Thank you, thank you. Help me out. Um, so at first, I'm like, this can't be. This is this, this isn't legit. This isn't him, is it? <laughs> no, it's it's a spot on. Visually, it's a spot on um, impression of him. Uh, the dialogue that came out of his voice box is very different. So wrong. <laughs> but the the thing is, is that with these films, you need to kind of go down some wrong roads, and I think. This, I mean, it's it's not like they they were. It was really really bad. I think there's something to be it said wasn't about good. it. Wasn't good, but I think there's <laughs> there there's something inherently comedical about some of the dialogue that they had written for this character to come out of some, especially when especially when the performance is so visually spot on. Oh my god! Well, I mean, from the moment where he was being introduced to the class and. <laughs> describing the students and I was like oh that's so wrong but then there's there's parts that clearly the the physical comedy takes part and it's like you can't help but laugh like well, ca- well Carrie can't help but laugh <laughs> like you you'd have to be really really being able to shut down <laughs> a reaction from what you're seeing to not laugh at those scenes there you go Okay, there were a bunch of cameos in this film in smaller roles and in small doses. So I'm just going to go through a few of them and get your take on this. Tracy Morgan, who played Professor X. <laughs> oh, God. The family, his his wife was perfect. As, as played by Regina Hall as Mrs. X. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be very honest. And... This might come as a surprise to you because you know how much I like the show 30 Rock. Mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest fan of Tracy Morgan outside of 30 Rock. And even then, I find Tracy Morgan's presence on 30 Rock to be tolerable at best and best in small doses. Is it is it just that you're comparing him to the role that he plays? Nope, not in the slightest. On 30 Rock? Not in the slightest. When you, when, in some of the things that I've seen him in outside of 30 Rock, it feels, and maybe it's because I, I, I love 30 Rock as a show, but maybe it's because I'm, anytime I see Tracy Morgan in another pr- production, I, in my head, all I'm picturing is him from 30 Rock. Again, I, I think. I don't know. I think that might be a slight. He was on. Didn't he get his start from Saturday Night Live? He did. He absolutely did. And then that was part of the 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 the, the fun of the fact that he was on Thirty Rock, basically playing a completely oversized version of something that maybe he you know represented. I guess I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, I can't not see him anything now and think Tracy Morgan from Thirty Rock. Hmm. Fair enough. It's kind of like how every now and then, I'm sure David Tennant and Michael Sheen 
be are accused of falling into character from them playing themselves and staged. Well, can I just say though, in in his defense, I would much rather see Tracy Morgan than Kevin Hart. I guess oh. I guess it depends on the role. I don't know. I I just I find him funnier, at least like more enjoyable to watch than Kevin Hart. Mm. That's a that's a big statement. I know, but I'm I stand behind it. I mean, I get the want to kind of shoehorn in some kind of X Men reference. Um, it, it it just didn't fly for me. But Fair I mean, enough. But I mean that that's just me. It, it felt shoehorned in. It felt like it was pulling it away from the Rick Riker storyline as opposed to, you know, like there were there were different ways to to incorporate that. But since we we're talking about that scene, Pamela Anderson as the Invisible Girl Sue Storm. <laughs> okay. I don't even think I could say too much about that scene because because of the dog. <laughs> I mean, she, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're going to have to watch it for yourself, but the thing is... Watch the movie. It's Pamela Anderson in a real small dose. And again, I think it's one of those things where you have these big-name actors in very small bit-part roles. And I get that's kind of what the movie movies do every now and then. But I, I don't know. I think I think you could have done more with Pamela Anderson than just use her in a what turned out to be like a two to three minute gag in the film. But I think it was hilarious. Oh, it was very well done, and I think she she did well enough in that part. I just don't think there was enough of her. Like at least maybe try to bring her back. Like mm-hmm. like if if you had a character that occasionally tripped and then every time someone fell down, all you would hear is Pamela Anderson laugh like that. It's the invisible girl. She can do that. But again, maybe it's just me wanting more out of an actor that I know can do more. Simon Rex, who played the Human Torch, uh, who was up on the rooftop with the dragonfly and then did his whole flame on thing and it had to be put out um, with the fire hydrant. How was he? <laughs> I mean, it was good. I, I, I think by the end of the movie, I don't know if I was just getting tired of the gags, but... No, you were getting tired, period. I, I think possibly, yeah, because I found the movie top-heavy, and it started to fizzle out by that point. Well, there's the thing. This film brings it in slapstick humor, in heavy, heavy, heavy doses. And after a while, and it's not like it's a long film. It's only like an hour and 22, but after a while, you become numb to the slapstick, and yeah. may, maybe it needed a bit more dialogue driven as opposed to slapstick. But you I know. found that there were a few por- like parts of the movie where I'm like, I know I should be laughing. And I'm just, I don't know, maybe I was just, <laughs> I was just spent from guffawing right off the, right at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. From, from the get go, this had me laughing and in hysterics. So for for the record, if Carrie was ever an actual film critic, um, I could see some of her things like, you know, this film had character and depth and emotion, but ball in the groin had a ball in the groin. <laughs> and she's like, yeah. Wow. Called out. Wow. Yeah. Miles Fisher, who was basically Tom Cruise in this. Mm-hmm. I'm very like 
we, we talked about the spot-on impression by Robert Joyce, Dr. Stephen Hawking. Miles Fisher's Tom Cruise, also a very good impression. Oh, yeah. Also, Tom Cruise couldn't fly. <laughs> One of the knocks on some of the, the parody movies that are out there is that they can be redundant and repetitive and kind of repetitive of other films, kind of like the same gags that kind of get drawn out over and over and over again. When you think about the movies like Scary Movie and Epic Movie and Date Movie and stuff like that, do you think this one stands out as being better than or are you seeing a lot of like the similar gags? Well, here's what I think, okay? So they made how many Scary Movies? We're up to what, five? At least. If not more, five? Five for sure? You mentioned five, so we'll go with that. Um, I want, now that now that the MCU has expanded, even the DCU, right? I want another superhero movie. I want a 2024, 25 even. I, I, I want to see more characters. I want to see a different storyline. I want to see, I want to see this done again, but with, with more I think if you were going to do something like Cinematic Universe Movie, or if that was what you were going to call it. Also, please don't call it Cinematic Universe Movie because then it becomes an acronym and no one wants to put that acronym up on a billboard. Spell it out. Think about it. It's not going to happen. But that being said, Cinematic Universe Movie could play on some of the tropes, but then would it then be, (laughs) Carrie's just figured it out now. She has just figured it out now. And right now there's someone listening to this out there going, oh, that's brilliant. So if Cinematic Universe movie ever comes out and it's it's put into an acronym onto the billboard. Send the checks care of. You're welcome and I'm sorry. But that being said, like, would it not feel kind of redundant to superhero movie or like which movie would you would you spoof that's the thing i want now that there's like multiverse and you know you can quite easily jump in and out of storylines i want that and even if you continue with the spider-man theme or continue on with spider-man being the main spoofed character and and you know, Dragonfly comes back and somehow intertwines through the Avengers. Like, Well, there, there is a film out there called Avengers of Justice Farce Wars, and I'm pretty sure that's probably along the same lines and probably a better title than Cinematic Universe movie. Go on, go on. <laughs> Picture it on the billboard. You're welcome. <sighs> but, I mean, does this... Because I remember... Flipping through the channels one night and Scary Movie 2 was on. And I watched a bit of it and I'm just like, this isn't funny. Okay, but if they can do that concept of the spoof horror movie to death and now there is so much more to take from. Mm-hmm. Like, so much more. Um, I mean... I, I think the thing though with, with the scary movies and just let me kind of diatribe here for a second in that with horror films you have different genres of horror films you know and i'm sure the slasher siblings would agree on this one in that you've got 
your typical slasher type horror film. You have your um, paranormal horror film. You have your uh, man versus nature horror film. You have your um, there, there are lots of different types of horror films and you can pull from different types. Uh, your found footage horror film, kind of like Blair Witch or um, Paranormal Activity. You you have a lot of different styles to choose from. But with superhero films, I mean, aside from the MCU, yes, everything still ends in a CGI sluggy slugfest. But at least with the MCU, different films have different styles like the ant-man films they're heist films uh the doctor strange films they're acid trips on cinema um you have like even the first captain america film was very much a you know not like an old time type film but it kind of had that feel a little bit whereas most other superhero films kind of follow the same pattern i just wonder if superhero movie two would be redundant unless unless you continued the story of the dragonfly entering into a world like the avengers yeah i don't know i mean there's so many different i think there's so many different avenues you know you've kind of got like the lighter hearted comedic um, like the Shazam and the Blue Beetle and Marvels to an extent, but they but they but, do they do kind of follow the same pattern though. But then you've got like the genetically mutated X Men or the Hulk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I don't know what was Aquaman's. Gig. He, was he what born was that way? Gig? Was he born that way? Well, no. Well, yes. He, no. He he was the dot. He was the son of the Queen of Atlantis, who then. Okay, so like the Thor, the like yeah, like born yeah. into Aquaman's it. Aquaman's very much in that Thor milieu. Yes. Okay, so you've got the the you're born that way. Thanks, Lady Gaga, and mm-hmm. you've got the you know science experiment gone wrong. And then you've got people who just kind of happen into it. Maybe they get bitten by a radioactive dragonfly, a genetically mutated dragonfly or radioactive spider or, you know. The the interesting thing here is that, you know, the theaters seem to be suffering from a bit of superhero fatigue to a point. To a point, you know, movies like Spider-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy did, still did very well at the box office, whereas output from DC like Black Adam and Shazam um, and unfortunately the Marvels all suffered from poor box office performance. And you have people like kind of backing away a little bit from superhero films. I don't know if now is the time or it might bring a lighter take on it. It might make superhero movies fun again. But in not all, that they're not fun. I in enjoy all honesty, them. one of the biggest superhero properties right now is The Boys, which skewers the entire world of superheroes. Well, that's that's true. We do have The Boys. So, so maybe in that sense, maybe a superhero movie too would work because it's not a traditional superhero film, but it it pokes and prods at the mystique of the superhero film. So maybe you, you might be right. 
You you might very well be right. I'm not saying you are, but you might be. I'll take it. That's that's I'll as close it. as we get. There's a might in there. There, but... there there's a might. <laughs> that, <laughs> ah, the the might instead of the dragonfly. Wasn't the might the ticks uh, sidekick? No, that was Arthur. Before we go, it's time now for our MVP. So who is your MVP of superhero movie? I think you should go first. <laughs> <laughs> because my pick is so wrong. It's, you know, I mean. It's, it's, th- it's Dr. Always. Stephen Hawking, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was the lady crossing the road. You saved that lady. <laughs> You're a hero. Your MVP spent two seconds on screen before she was dumped into a wood chipper. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, you squeaked. It was the <laughs> You're you're such a hero. You saved that lady as she was crossing the street. You, no, but who who was you, going you, off about you, it? Was you it? have a most valuable pedestrian at this point. <laughs> but it made the movie. <laughs> this is this is my wife. I'm sorry. <laughs> of all the scenes, okay, I, Stephen I, Hawking was I, great too. I, I don't. Th- it, it, keep in mind too. Dear listeners, okay, it wasn't just that she ended up in the wood chipper. It's that the dog was slowly being pulled into the wood chipper at the time. And she's like, oh, no, oh, no, and laughing hysterically, kind of like she's doing right now. She is is literally at this point suffering from post-traumatic superhero movie disorder. Okay, or... Or is there a version of this where I, <laughs> there's always a version where I choose the snail? <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait you, for you, me. You need to explain <laughs> the scene. <laughs> oh well. Yeah, you you can't just sit there and say the snail was your MVP after 50 minutes of talking about this film, <laughs> never mentioning the snail at any point, and then not explain the scene or the bird. Okay, I'll explain the scene. <laughs> so there's this there's this scene where um, Rick gets you know pushed into a pile of poop and he tries to rinse it off. Like so, he grabs a spray that says H two O and he sprays it all over himself until someone says, "Oh, we have this thing that's you know it's it's new animal pheromones and it's called H two zero nine." And he spins it around, sees the nine, realizes that he sprayed himself with these animal pheromones, and then gets jumped by every single animal in the room including the snail who's on top of his shoe going take it all bitches <laughs> and that was when he was bit by the dragonfly yeah yeah Spoilers. It's, it's all the pheromones yep well my mvp did not end up in a wood chipper my mvp is drake <laughs> bell who of course played rick Riker. and then the thing is the parody doesn't work if the main guy in the parody doesn't play it straight and it does he doesn't you know elicit the same kind of character that is directly from the movie that they're parodying he is a decent peter parker and he's a very good voice of spider-man if you haven't watched ultimate spider-man on tv um but yeah for me it's drake bell it this movie lives and breathes on the fact that he does very well in this carrie thank you so much for this and listeners thank you for listening to us laugh and guffaw our way through this one. Now, you guys know the drill. If there is a movie out there that you think is unfairly maligned or 
there is no way in heck that we can find anything good to say about it hit us up on social media at not that badcast or go to our website at notthatbadcast.com and while you're there make sure you check out all of our other shows that are on now you're getting about and i do the math here three episodes a week you're welcome until next time she's carrie i'm jay you guys are awesome this is it's not that bad a proud member of the pantheon podcast network take care it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.